Hi, this is Keith Law, and welcome to episode 60 of The Keith Law Show. I'll be joined in a few moments by my longtime friend, John Tomasi, who covers the Red Sox for NBC Sports Boston. We are going to talk Red Sox, we're going to talk some general baseball stuff, and most importantly, we're going to talk board games. Just before that, I wanted to let you know if you are a subscriber to The Athletic, you can see my ranking of the top 100 prospects in this year's draft class, which went up last Thursday. I also did a special subscriber-only Q&A answering mostly questions on that draft ranking, uh, which was kind of interesting also because I answered a question about a player, Carson Williams, who was not on my top 100, and then afterwards heard from a scout who said, no, you're wrong. Carson Williams is better than you think. And you probably should put him on your top 100. So Carson Williams will be on my next top 100, but he was not on this one. So take that for what it's worth. But I am at least willing to admit my top 100 is far from perfect. Fortunately, I still have about seven weeks left to fix that. And I did want to mention, as I do pretty much every show, my book, The Inside Game, Bad Calls, Strange Moves, and What Baseball Behavior Teaches Us About Ourselves is now out in paperback. Father's Day is five weeks away-ish. Uh, I think it makes a great Father's Day gift. Could have made a great Mother's Day gift too, but sorry, I didn't do a show right before then. So, But it is out now in paperback. Midtown Scholar in Harrisburg does still have a handful of signed copies available. You can go to midtownscholar.com to order one of those or just call your local independent bookseller. They are starting to reopen. Things are starting to improve across the country, but bookstores have been hit very hard by the pandemic. They would greatly appreciate your business. Now it is my pleasure to be joined by my longtime friend and former pub trivia partner, John Tomasi. John is the Red Sox reporter at NBC Sports Boston. You can find him on Twitter at JTomasi, J-T-O-M-A-S-E. John, how are you and how is your brother Rolo? (laughs) I will say I saw that movie in the theater with my brother. Mm -hmm. So we're talking about LA Confidential. And when... The Rolo Tomasi reveal is made, just the first mention. We did not know anything about that because it was a new movie. We stood up and clapped, and <laughs> people were looking at us like, what are you doing? Like, that's, that's Those are my people. So thank you for that memory. Yes, you're welcome. I will never see that movie uh, or hear of that movie without thinking of that connection. <laughs> so let's talk a little Red Sox stuff. We're not going to go only baseball because the world is too interesting for that. And baseball is kind of, can I say it's a little bit boring right now? Is that okay? It is, Am but I you know, the Red that? Sox are doing their part to liven it up a little. So yeah. I, I've, I've been pleasantly surprised with that. But anyway. Yes. Well, so I know you wrote a little bit about the Mookie Betts trade and how that's looking for the Red Sox now. And so I actually won't spoil it. Why don't you give us your extremely hot take on the Mookie Betts trade? <laughs> yeah. So we were, we were grading uh, the high and bloom move so far and it's just based on what we know so far because sure. obviously, you know, a lot's going to change, but my early return on this is like, I'm giving this sucker an A and the people that I work with, you know, really, they could not wrap their head around it because you know, there's this thing. You trade an MVP in his prime, and there are plenty of Red Sox fans, and I get it, who won't be satisfied unless the return is also an MV- a future MVP in his prime. And, like, that's not how these deals work. And I'm I'm going to veer into polemic territory here, so just bear with me. Do it. Because I feel strongly about this. So this trade, you have to factor in everything. It is not simply talent for talent. So the money, you cannot ignore, you know? And for a player who was at best going to be a $20 million rental for someone, 
there's not a lot of teams who are going to be in that kind of market. You know, maybe the Padres would have been because they were spending like crazy. The only other team that could acquire him would be one that's willing to pay him 350 million bucks. And we know that there's what, one, two, three of those. And the Dodgers happen to be one of them. So right away, you are shrinking your market for him. You're not dealing from a position of strength to begin with because the Red Sox knew that Mookie Betts did not want to be with the Red Sox long term. And I think the rest of baseball knew that as well. So you're not just simply talking about, you know, a 28 year old MVP that you have to talk about some of the other factors involved. I don't think Mookie's window fit the Red Sox window in terms of contention. Now, the Red Sox have surprised us this year. But if you keep Mookie with the idea of, well, we're going to come up with 400 million to pay him now. You're maybe not extending Devers. You're maybe not extending Erod. Bogarts is going to opt out of his deal next year. So J.D. Martinez, you have to make a decision on long term, which we probably know what that is. But if Mookie is on the books for $400 million, then two to three of those guys aren't going to be here long term. I look at Mookie's size, five foot nine. I wrote about this last year, but players that small, unless you're Joe Morgan, Kirby Puckett, who you can't even say was small. He was just short, but he was obviously a large guy. I mean, look historically, players that size are not built to last. They just aren't. So as much as I love Mookie, I understood that there were a lot of reasons to trade him. You wanted to get rid of David Price's money. You can't just do that. I mean, people are like, you would use Mookie Betts to facilitate a salary dump? And I was like, yes, I would. You get as much of David Price's money off the books as you can, and you get all of his poisonous attitude because he was, I know his teammates liked him, but I think that's where it ended. I, I, he was not a respected figure in that organization. So moving on from him was an important part of that deal. So this is all my way of saying, like, I am a pro-labor Massachusetts lefty. I voted for Liz Warren in the primaries. But I do believe teams should have budgets. I don't. So I so I'm pro labor, but it's like budgets force you to be disciplined and disciplined teams make better decisions. So I'm not one of these guys who says, well, the Red Sox can afford it. They should just pay him. Well, no, there's more to it than that. And so at the end of the day, I don't feel like Mookie fit long term here as great a player as he was. I don't think the timing was right. You know, they're starting a rebuild. You then start to look at other deals involving players like this. And granted, there aren't a lot of them, but there are a few. And you start considering the return. So it's like Oakland traded Josh Donaldson to your former team, the Jays, right before he won an MVP. Who's the best player they got in that deal? It's like Kendall Graveman, probably. Mm -hmm. You know, the Rangers, they traded A-Rod, understandably weird circumstances. They got two overrated years out of Alfonso Soriano, and then they got rid of him. You know, if we want to stick... To Boston, my Red Sox, as a kid, seven-year-old me, still hasn't gotten over trading Fred Lynn for Joe <laughs> Rudy and Frank Tanana, you know? And it's like, if you want to go into the 80s, Ricky Henderson, you know? Ricky Henderson goes to the Yankees for, like, Stan Javier and Eric Plunk, and that's when he was 25 and the best player in the world. Right. You know, not that people necessarily knew it. So anyway, now you see the Red Sox are trying. Alex Verdugo is the centerpiece of it. I love Verdugo, and I'm just going to be – Honest, I'm probably a little too bullish on Verdugo. And even though he's never going to be an MVP, I think he will be an all-star. He could be an all-star this year. I love what he does. And I only expect the gap between Verdugo and Mookie to shrink as the years go by. And so if that's your centerpiece and that's real, oh, there was my boss. There was. Sorry. I was just going to call you out on it. 
Yeah, yeah my brother Mark and my sister Mia. Yeah, we're way too far with that one. <laughs> Sorry. Um, so anyway, so putting aside the two prospects, who knows what Jeter Downs and Connor Wong are, I think you've already got a potentially winning return in the form of Alex Verdugo, who is a centerpiece player for what you're doing right now. And Mookie's great. We miss him. He was an ambassador. All that stuff that you wanted. But at the end of the day, I think this deal will make the Red Sox better in the long term. And rant. Yeah, that's a good rant, actually. I, I mean, I actually agree with much of what you said, but in the interests of um, continuing our hot takes, yeah. to me, part of the justification for the deal also, and the part of what I wrote at the time was, you look at this Red Sox pitching staff, you project forward on what was on the Red Sox pitching staff at the time and what was in the system. And I was, where is the next playoff caliber, especially championship caliber rotation? It's not there. And in fact, I would I'm, I just pulled up their stats right now just to make sure I had who was in the rotation because off the top of my head, I'm not sure I could have given you all five current Red Sox starters. Like, I there. try to pay attention to this stuff. Most of my head's in the draft right now, too. And the Red Sox pick fourth, so that, that is not entirely irrelevant to this conversation. But, hey, look, they're getting great work out of the rotation right now. I have a hard time looking at this rotation and saying that is a playoff caliber rotation. That is going to be a rotation that gets you not just into the postseason, but potentially is good enough to take you deep into the postseason. And it is certainly not a rotation that you look at and say, this is, you know, pick three or four of these guys. They're going to build around these guys for the next few years. So part of the justification was, well, you trade bets, but that allows you to go spend on pitching that you don't have. And I would argue so far they haven't done so. And to me, if I'm a Red Sox fan at this point, not unhappy with the return. Jeter Downs isn't, hasn't been great in whatever it's been, two weeks so far in AAA. But I really think he can hit. I think he's going to be a regular. I agree with what you said on Verdugo. I'd like to see him hit lefties a little bit better. But I think he's a very good player. But to me, whether this deal looks good in hindsight is going to come down to what they do with the money they saved. And so mm -hmm. far, they haven't spent. And so to me, if I'm a Red Sox fan, if I'm Mark from Arlington, I'm saying, what? I can't we I can't quite complete the phrase here. I'm what the <laughs> So we are where 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 is the pitching? I thought we were gonna spend that money on the pitching. Yeah, and I think they will. And this is this is where it sort of comes down to a matter of trust with Heim Bloom, where you mm -hmm. say, Okay, we understood and the, the CBA complicates it because you don't know what the system is gonna be after this year. So I think the Red Sox are clearly in a we are gonna hold out until we know what you know what rules we're going to be playing under mm -hmm. but i do not expect given john henry's track record and i know he is not a popular owner on either side of the atlantic right now but, <laughs> but his track record nobody cares has about been, Saga. yeah Saka. gee i mean kid come on um but his track record is to spend and i don't mm -hmm. expect that to change so i do believe that this season has caught them by surprise in terms of how competitive they are. The, you know, the operative phrase was sneaky good. We think we're going to be sneaky good. And they were saying that in spring training. And then they come out against the freaking Orioles and get their doors blown off the first three <laughs> games of the season. And a certain NBC Sports Red Sox writer who shall remain nameless uh, declared them sneaky gross and <laughs> thought that <laughs> we were just like, how could we be wrong? Because I actually thought they'd be okay. But okay to me was like 84, 85 wins. You know, they'll be above 500, which Vegas didn't have them there considering how bad they were last year. That's a pretty good improvement. We'll take that. Mm -hmm. This 
has accelerated maybe where they thought they could be this quickly. My point being, they didn't spend on this year's team on pitching because they didn't think they were close enough yet. But I think, I think as we move forward in Bloom's rebuild, and you've seen, I mean, you talk about they need to acquire pitchers. Nick Pavetta and Connor Siebold for Brandon Workman, who you already have back pitching for you at AAA, right. and Heath Embry, who I don't even know where he ended up after Philly. Uh, that is a steal. I mean, that trade is a steal. Garrett Richards, we know he has a lot of talent. The Red Sox, they love spin rates and all that, has the best spin on his curveball and his fastball, practically in baseball. They seem to have found something there. I know he never stays healthy. So they're going to spend again. They are going to spend on pitching. There is a lot of criticism of the bet steal. How do you not get a pitcher back? The Dodgers have so much pitching. How do you not get any of it back? And I'm like, well, it's not in a vacuum. Like there are other moves that you can make. You've got, you know, Garrett Whitlock, who I'm not necessarily sold in the idea of him as a starter. I know they are excited about seeing if that's what his future is. I kind of like him in the role that he's in now, but be that as it may, like that's a rule five guy. And you added a legitimate big league arm that way. So they're filling in around the margins and they are going to make that big move you know, in the next year or two would be my guess. Yeah, I would even say, I think a lot of Red Sox fans thought at the time, you know, how do we trade Mookie Betts and we don't get Dustin May? And yeah. I love, obviously, I'm incredibly high on Dustin May, but he got hurt and because he's a pitcher. I mean, to me, there's, a, yeah, maybe there's something more specific about Dustin May, but really anytime you build a major trade around getting pitching prospects, I understand it. I, I mean, even when I was in the front office, whatever, two lifetimes ago, there was always this, we got to get pitching. We don't have enough pitching. It's weird. Like you live in this weird scarcity, scarcity skewed environment where you just think yep. you can never have enough pitching. So it becomes some sort of Scrooge McDuck where you just, I just need to have all the pitching. I gotta, just oh, I need pitching, Mad pitching. Max. Yeah, that's good. That's a good one. Yeah. Probably a slightly more contemporary reference, but it's just, I can't not, you just keep grabbing pitching everywhere you have it. You could probably drown under a pile of pitching and still think you don't have enough. But if you try to build a trade like this around entirely around pitching or particularly in this case where it was one zero to two big leaguer one very good prospect and then another sort of prospect but somewhat further down the system one of those main two guys is a pitcher you at least increase the risk that something goes horribly awry as it has with may where who we're probably not going to see again now until i would guess maybe 2023 maybe the very end of next year. And how would Red Sox fans feel right now if they'd acquired May, who at that point might've been the best right-handed pitching prospect in baseball? Yeah, not, not they would not feel great. And yeah, and I, and, I, and I mean, I would even extend this, not to change the subject, but the draft, you know, there's so much focus right now for the Red Sox. Oh, that, you know, Kumar Rocker is going to slip to them. And I'm kind of like, he's a, he's a college pitcher. It's all the same stuff that you just said. And so, you know, give me I, the catcher you had on your podcast the other day. Like, mm -hmm. give me a player Davis, like that. Yeah. Give me give me one of the high school shortstops. Give me the position player prospect that high in the draft, because I just think there's not that certainty is the right word, but there's less variance in the injury stuff that you're talking about. You can get Kumar Rocker and everyone's going to love that pick until he has Tommy John or tears his labrum or whatever, you know, so it, it's kind of a, a similar I'm viewing the draft in a similar way. Yes, Kumaraka. Can you imagine? Yeah, that's Der I got to give credit to my producer. He just slacked me that Kuma. <laughs> Kuma. Yes. Well, Jack Jack Lida was yeah. you know probably he might have been gone two weeks ago, three weeks ago. We might have said he'd be gone before the Red Sox pick. Absolutely, he was one on my first two draft rankings. Then he had two dud starts. Then he missed a start with very short notice. Now he looked great again this weekend, so it's a good sign. But yeah. 
you know, what if teams get closer to the draft and they look at his medical and say, something not great here. It's not to say you don't still take him, right? Walker Bueller, the Dodgers took him in the first round knowing he needed Tommy John surgery. And that's probably why he fell down to, I think he was 17th pick or something like that. And I don't think they're regretting that pick at all, but I think you just put that pile that on top of what you were just saying. It's why I slid Davis and the two high school shortstops into one, two, three on my last draft ranking ahead of Rocca and Lida, because yeah. you know what? They're both Rocker and Lida are extremely talented, but both have some kind of question mark or red flag. And the other three are position players. And in Davis's case, he's probably in the big leagues in a year and a half. Yeah. So, I mean, there you go. It's almost like this, it's almost a year where the Red Sox, obviously you want to be picking fourth if you can, but if they were in the twenties where they usually are like right. Jaden Hill might be the kind of guy that you're talking about with Walker Bueller, where he's already had it. So you're going to, at least you don't have to worry about, you know, like a Jay groom kind of situation where you get the guy in knowing, well, at some point this is probably going to happen. And then it does. And now you're out two years. Yeah. And that's, uh, it's fun. Picking in the twenties this year is sort of a weird spot where someone, maybe it's the Dodgers again, Jaden Hill, you mentioned from LSU and now Gunnar Hogland from Ole Miss. Hill was more of a ceiling guy. Hogland was more of a probability guy, but that's two pretty good college pitchers who were going to go in the top 10 picks, maybe in the top five picks, certainly in the top 10 in Hogland's case, at least, uh, are now recovering from Tommy John. We might see two of those guys go in the back of the first round, which would be kind of interesting. And, and like, I agree with you. If the Red Sox were picking down there, they probably are at least seriously considering one of those guys. I have now officially exhausted all of my knowledge of this year's draft. Oh, perfect. Well, let's move on to something else. <laughs> Albert Pujols, who could who could at least have a large adult son in this year's draft. Um, I'm going to make give, offer another hot take because that's what we're doing today. I don't really care about Albert Pujols signing with the Dodgers. In fact, I didn't care at all about him <laughs> signing anywhere. He hasn't been a good player in five years. Yeah. Why? 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 He's going to the Hall of Fame. That's great. I do not care, and I certainly don't need to see. Maybe he'll be good with the Dodgers. There's no evidence to support that, and I don't need to see a Steve Carlton last act all over again. Yeah, I don't. I didn't get that from either perspective. Correct me if I'm wrong. He left the Angels because I'm a full-time player, and you don't think I'm a full-time player. And then you go to the National League to start with, so you can't DH. Right. And you go to a loaded team. I know they've got some injury issues, but what's he going to do, play against lefties? Every once in a while, you know, and, and is he even going to give you more against lefties than at least Muncie walks? So, like, yes. you get that. I don't understand what role he thinks he's going to play and why would the Dodgers introduce that into their mix right now when they're defending champs and they have, you know, that sort of small market mentality on the roster, even though they're obviously the greatest of the haves in the big leagues. And now you introduce that. I don't I don't understand it from he doesn't have to move very far like that. That part I get. But that's about it. Yeah, I don't see how he's going to play. How much is he going to play? He's going to be a glorified pinch hitter, right? I mean, you can't Maybe even can really pull him out. Maybe he can be yeah. Sandoval. I don't think he's going to be he's not going to replace Corey Seager at short although I huh. might pay money to watch that for maybe for one game right that's funny for what that's like the joke that your that your little kid tells and it's like uh, okay that was funny eight times ago it's yeah. it's not and funny it wasn't even funny then but daddy was probably nice. not um just some more big picture stuff before we move on to more interesting topics like board games and movies and things like that uh <laughs> if you're you're a GM of some team, like in, and you're panicking, right? Who should be, which GMs should be panicking 
right now. You know, I'm looking at the Twins are 13 and 25. I still don't really, I can't believe they're doing that. I think their run differential puts them much closer to 500 at least. You know, how much should they be panicking? They might be the worst off of any contender, would-be contender. The Angels are 17 and 22 in a division that's actually turning out to be reasonably tough this year. Um, anyone else even Atlanta, a couple games under 500, the Mets are two games over 500 technically in first place, but they're all hurt. So, you know, pick one, let's pick on somebody and tell them why they should be panicking. I mean, I would, I wouldn't leave the Yankees out of this discussion actually. Mm -hmm. I know they've sort of righted the ship then they had their COVID outbreak and whatever, but I still see a deeply flawed roster. And, you know, you were talking about the Red Sox pitching staff and how, you couldn't have necessarily named them all, and that's fair. But, I mean, the Yankees are kind of in that boat as well. Obviously, you have Garrett Cole, and he's great. And Kluber has pitched better recently, which certainly helps. But, I mean, you go back. This is a team with 100-win World Series aspirations, and they're like, our two big pitching additions this winter are going to be guys who one of them threw one inning last year and the other threw none. And so (laughs) between, you know, Kluber and Tyone, you're like, this is what you're banking on. That, that that to me is kind of crazy. And it's not that the game, the game has not changed enough yet where, you know, the Red Sox for a while, and this they've sort of come back to earth in this way, but for a while they were winning, quote unquote, the old fashioned way, putting the ball in play, hitting the other way, you know, trying to hit up the middle as opposed to launch angle and all that stuff. And the Yankees, you could see a scenario where they become a relic pretty quickly. They're not very athletic. They do hit the ball a mile. You know, Stanton and Judge really came alive, but Stanton's always hurt, and he's hurt again, right? Didn't he just have, like, a hamstring thing or mm-hmm. something? So, you know, I, I, I see their roster being a little bit ill-suited for where the game might be headed. I understand where the game is right now and its velocity and, and you know, hitting the ball as far as you can, but – I wonder if we're sort of on a hitting a little bit of an inflection point where teams are realizing that, well, this isn't getting us anywhere. You know, the league average is 230 or whatever. So anyway, the, the Yankees are a team that I look at and wonder. We know and George is gone, rest in peace, but you're still owned by a Steinbrenner. And mm-hmm. at what point does, you know, being two games over 500 and fighting with the Red Sox and the Jays and the Rays uh, start to take a toll? And do they do something stupid at the trade deadline? I don't know what that would be off the top of my head, but you know, we were talking earlier about pitching. Do they go out and like give up too much to acquire an unreliable starter? You know, I, I don't know. So the, so the Yankees are still a team that I'm watching closely, wondering where this is all headed. And, you know, and they just had a bad series against the Orioles too. So it's like, just as they seem where, Oh, they figured it out. Now they're taking a couple steps back again. And I, I agree with you that the roster does seem flawed and with a lot of underperformance on the offensive side, actually. I just pulled up this again just to make sure I knew what I was talking about here. But, okay, Aaron Judge is having an Aaron Judge season and has been pretty healthy for it. And that's it. Like The Clint Frazier breakout hasn't happened. The Stanton had been pretty productive, but obviously he's hurt again, and he's you probably should just forecast him to be hurt. Yep. LeMahieu has performed below what he's done previously, especially all that. I mean, nobody, very few guys were taking advantage of Yankee Stadium's dimensions as much as he was. They're not getting much production anywhere else. They're actually the pitching has been less of a problem for them, and you know I, I agree on the you know Montgomery and Kluber, like these guys, banking on their durability 
is probably questionable just because nothing against either of those guys specifically just they haven't pitched a lot recently coming back off injuries and barely pitching last year um the one guy i feel pretty good about going forward is Tyon because i can see although his era is high they've clearly made some changes to his approach he's getting a little more movement as four seamer he's trying to be one of those four seamer top of the zone guys and you can see that might be coming together where you know, if I were if I were betting on one of these guys to be better the rest of the season, I might bet on less from Kluber and less from Herman, but more from Tyon. But I don't see how they're fixing the offense, especially because a lot of it is they, they're kind of tied to a lot of these players by their by contract or just by committing to certain guys by injuries that have put them in a position where hey, if Aaron Hicks isn't coming back for a while, they're kind of stuck with the personnel that they have for a bit. Yeah, I, mean, I was looking at their lineup the other day, and I don't know exactly. I should just look it up. But the last I looked, they were hitting like 220 as a team. I mean, I understand. Yeah. Okay, 225. Like 318 so. on base. Like, you would expect this Yankees. I mean, how, when was the last time the Yankees had a below the median, below the league median on base percentage? I'm going to guess it's been a really, without looking, which I should probably look, but it's probably been a really long time. Jeter's last year, you know, maybe. Yeah. Like that, the, the team that missed the playoffs, 2014 or whatever. But yeah, other than that, you're probably going back pre to the 90s, you know, pre-dynasty. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so that that's what I'm talking about when I say that their offense is sort of falling behind the times. Like, it's one thing to say we're going to hit a lot of home runs and that's going to cover up a lot of sins. But when you have a 300 OBP as a team, uh, that to me is not sustainable. So I, I just, I see a flawed roster pitching side. I mean, Chapman has been unreal, so... Yes. That has also you're playing eight inning games or six inning games with a yeah. doubleheader, you know, and so that that helps too. Let me correct myself, by the way. The league median right now on base percentage is three ten. I knew it was bad. I didn't realize <laughs> okay. it was that bad. So they're above average. Still. Never mind. The Yankees are fine. <laughs> Ignore everything we just said. Um, I just want to bounce to the Twins just for one second too, because mm-hmm. they are they're 13 and 25 and they're just not that bad of a team Now, Derek and I actually talked about them a little bit on our own, our, the athletics daily podcast last week. But I, if I'm running that club, I'm not really sure what to do because I'm probably, I'm looking at the players other than obviously Buxton is hurt again, but you know, hopefully you get him back after not too long. Uh, I'm looking at the team. I'm looking at the roster and saying, this team is better than this. This team is way better than this. Should be, we should at least be at 500 right now, and then we're, then at that point, we're patching. I do think they need to add a starter somewhere. I don't think they have, although I like some of their pitching prospects, I don't think any of those guys are going to step in and solve the rotation problem right now, although certainly one of them would probably be better than Matt Shoemaker. But yep. I, I, I would say almost, maybe you panic because of your situation in the standings, but I wouldn't panic because of the players, if that makes sense, I would say, no, I still believe that this roster is good enough to play above 500 the rest of the season. Maybe it's too late to overcome a 12 game deficit due to being 12 games below 500. But I, I think this roster, this team is much better than what they have shown so far. Yeah. And you know, what's interesting. So the Red Sox got them in April, went to Minnesota for a four game series, took three out of four and all of the games kind of followed the same pattern. The twins would go up early and they would have somebody dealing, whether it's Barrios, Hap, uh, I'm trying to remember who else started that series. And the Red Sox would get to them in one inning, like fourth or fifth, right as they turn the order over, four runs, five runs, and then that would be the game, four to one, four to two, five to three, whatever. And you're watching it and you're saying, 
did they get a little lucky, like winning these games the way they did? Because the Twins are a good team, they're a playoff team, whatever. And then you just you leave there and you watch the standings and you see them continue to plummet. And you see at the time the Royals are on fire. And you're saying, how is this happening? Because even if you look at the offense, like they don't have the offensive troubles that you're talking about with the Yankees. They have a bunch of guys. If I just like to scan the OPS plus column, you see a lot of hundred pluses there up and down their lineup, you know. And so offensively, they're pretty good. Pitching should be better. You know, Kenta Maeda, that's the other guy. He's hurt them. Uh, quite a bit because that's mm-hmm. somebody they're expecting more out of. But mm-hmm. I sort of look at them, and I guess I'm agreeing with you, as a team where you say, you know what, we almost have to ride it to stay the course right now. And, you know, the White Sox are managed by an old person. And so yeah. maybe, <laughs> you know, maybe there's a possibility that they come back to earth. I know they've obviously really, really since Giolito got lit up on Patriots Day in Boston, they've been a different team since then. So you expect, all right, they're probably the most talented team in the division to start with. Uh, but you can certainly make a run at everybody else in that division, even from where you are now, if you're the twins. All right, let's talk some board games. So for folks okay. who don't know, for folks who don't know me or don't know John, we are both big fans of uh, good board games, sometimes called Euro games, the settlers of Catan, although I think you and I have, but I think it's just Catan now. We, we like other games more than that. So game of life game of like no oh my god no people are like why isn't monopoly on your ranking <laughs> oh god because it sucks because it hurts yes roll your dice move your mice 20 minutes in you know who's winning in an hour and a half to finish it <laughs> so what have you played recently that you've liked they can be new games or just new games to you yeah so uh the pandemic obviously created a lot of time for board games your daughter is a year or two older than my son And so when the pandemic started, we played a ton of board games. In September, he turned 13. And for his birthday, we broke down and gave him his first phone. And we haven't really played too many board games since then. Bye. Bye, son. (laughs) Pretty much. So so early on, we played a lot of Terraforming Mars because it's it's you know, it takes a while. Yes, it does. But great game you though. can set it up leave it on the table great game my yep. son really liked it he was good at it so that was, so we played a lot of that then a ton of wingspan another That's one great. that you just set it up give it you know my wife sometimes like could we maybe have that half of the table back please ah, no nope. we are hunting birds uh so a lot of wingspan everdell on your recommendation oh, i believe I uh, we just played that again a couple weeks ago that game great is, game and it holds up it really, it really does and it's replayable which i like i'm a big Extremely. fan of Yes. Yeah. And so I've I've only played that two players. I'd like to play that with more. And then the last one that I will say that I've been playing online pre-pandemic, post-pandemic, I probably play it five to ten times a day still. Bosses only on my own time. Don't worry. Uh, <laughs> I play on. I play Dominion online constantly. So yeah. at Jay Tomasi, if you're ever on, if you're a Dominion fan and you see me, hit me up for a game. Uh, I, I love you talk about replayability. That is. Without a doubt, my favorite game of all time. And every game is new. I like the deck building concept. Just I think, you know how certain games fit your brain? Yeah. That fits my brain. Like that's that style of game. So big Dominion guy. So played a lot of that. How about you? Yeah. So um, on online, I'll go backwards here. Online, I got obsessed with Grand Austria Hotel. Um which at first I was like, this looks really fussy, right? It looks very yeah. precise. But what, and I got my 
ass handed to me a few times too. But I have now learned that's actually the best way to learn how to play a game well is just find someone who's better than you and let them trounce you and just watch. Yep. And it's like, and once I got the rhythm of that and realized it is a little fiddly in the way that like Agricola is where you have to hit certain things. Like you just can't ignore anything and it's very yep. easy to get kind of wiped out because you weren't paying attention to what's one thing that's called the emperor's track in that particular game. But once I got it, I really got it to the point where it's like, I so I care if I win or lose, but there's definitely one. It's one of those where it's like, I played this pretty well. That was fun. I like games like that where winning yep. is great, but also there's the satisfaction of, hey, I got it this time. I put something together that kind of worked. And I've been doing the same thing with Rajas of the Ganges online, which I own both of those games physically, but have the physical copies, but haven't played them because a lot of it was, I got to figure out how to play these. I'm not bringing these to the table with my wife and my oldest. And like, I have to know how to play before you know, with the three of us, you're not going to sit down and spend an hour figuring out how to play a game. That is a huge yeah. deal breaker for them. Maybe less so for me. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, we've been playing a lot. We just busted out Everdell a couple of weeks ago. Uh, my wife and I are nearly done with a campaign of My City, the legacy game from mm -hmm. last year, which we thought was really good. And the nice thing is, like, unlike a lot of legacy games, it plays pretty quick. Um, and I'm staring. I keep turning away from the Zoom here because I'm looking at some of the unplayed games I have here, which is too many of those but i have like whistle mountain um which is did you ever play uh oh my god what was the first one whistle stop it was no. a train game where you build the board as you go across you're laying tiles and everyone else can play on the same tiles as you build across so this is the same kind of game just uh slight different slight tweaks to the mechanics cryo um Flourish, which is the Everdell designer's new card game, but it's very light. It's totally different, other than like having the same kind of nature sort of theme. Yep. But that was pretty good. Um, I got so many games I want to play. It's really out of control. You know, that's the problem is it's like you said, it's you know, not on our not on our boss's time, of course. No, of course not. No, of course no. not. Weekends, yeah, and nights and weekends only. You have multiple kids, I have multiple kids. This weekend it was softball and skating and various other things. I'm like, was I home this weekend? I don't remember being home at all. Yeah. I mean, the other thing too is just for the last year, like my gaming friends, and there's one couple in particular that we know who they were my gateway into yeah. they were my dealers um and they got me hooked <laughs> hey, John, <laughs> so i got i got i got some new euros here oh yeah. i mean they give me bags of stuff and i just snorted i don't even know what it is so um <laughs> doesn't matter i just trust that give it's great me, give me and a hit that, of that german ooh, stuff i was just gonna say give me a little the Louis rosenberg just, just a little, just. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I love Agricola, so I forgot that. That's a good one. Uh, the app is so good for that, by the way, yeah. that I can't play the physical game anymore, even though I love the physical game, because it takes an hour to set it up and an hour to take it apart. Oh, his yeah. games are the worst. His his worker placement games like that, I just gave up. After Feast for Odin, um, which I actually sold to a, a reader who I've played a bunch of games with since then. He lives, I don't know, a half hour or so from here. and Often I get a really heavy game into review. And pre-pandemic... I'd say, hey, Pat, I got to know what you got to, you know, want to get together like some Tuesday night. Let's get together and we'll just bust it like tapestry was one because he's like me. And I think a bit like you two where we're like talking through like, let's sort of take this game apart at the seams, kind of figure out how yeah. it works. He's really good for that, which always helps me to review these things. He loves Feast Road and his kids love it. I'm like, God bless you. That ain't yeah. that game. Oh, my God. <laughs> 
that game was like 200 pieces. I'm like, the cat's going to eat four of them. Seven will end up in the vacuum, right? We'll find three in the couch cushions whenever we move to another house. There's, yeah, yeah I can't. With, I like a lot of Rosenberg's smaller games, but it felt like there was a pattern, a trend there where he was like, I'm going to make this game more complicated than the last. <laughs> and it's like, okay, buddy, Cones of Dunshire has been done, right? You can't, yeah. at, you are approaching board game parody singularity here yeah <laughs> you could be the ledger man for yes all time. exactly <laughs> <laughs> yeah we find uh, so not his game but we find uh seven wonders coin tokens everywhere uh, <laughs> seven wonders yes. we have seven My wonders duel. love that game love both of them both we of just them. played seven wonders duel the other day mm -hmm. uh but yeah those little tiny coppers whatever they're called uh they're yeah. everywhere they're in cushions they're under rugs they're everywhere yes that game they only had real value my wife had seen you know it was number some seven winners top my top rated game ever and she said wait i want to learn to play this obviously she's very interesting she wasn't into games before we got together but she wanted to play so we finally i said this is best when we have a larger group of people and we went to visit my family in virginia so it was two of us my daughter my sister my brother-in-law and a five-person game it works for up to seven i don't know if you've played i have actually played i have, seven I have played seven and it works yeah. just as quickly which it I really love. does it, but it was so great and it's so social and we're talking back and forth but everybody's constantly doing something i was like i felt like this you got the good experience you play it with three i've played it with three Yep. But there's somewhere around five or six is that inflection point. It's like, oh, this really hums. And wait, we just played a whole game in a half an hour? How is that even yep. possible? That's still my go-to rec, even though I think the rules are, are not well written. No, it's the iconography like, is super right? confusing. Oh, it's terrible. I almost want to tell readers, like give them like a, I want to create a dedicated phone number and say, get seven wonders, call this number and I will walk you through the game. I can't yeah. actually offer that as a service, but <laughs> I would like to because once you play it, it's so good. It is so elegant and it's so, like you said, it just moves. And most games with that many people, not that there are that many games with that many people, they're either party games, which is fine. It's a different category. Yeah. But board games for six, seven people often are a slog because oh, they- total they slog. Right? And then you never want to take them out. Yeah, or they're the kind of game where five of you are in the hand, say, yeah. and two of you have been eliminated or have no hope, and yep, it's just neither. like, what are we doing? You right. know, yeah, exactly. just twiddling thumbs. Yeah, seriously, it's like, all right, can you get us the rest of us another beer? We're still playing, so you just, yeah, yeah. And I read it. I read a criticism of Seven Wonders once, which I thought was completely unfounded. It was this <laughs> game is just seven people playing solitaire, and I'm like, no, I understand. No. Outside of military, there's not a lot of direct, you know, conflict. But certainly you're trying to bury cards based on what you think your opponent might need. But more to the point, it's what you said. Everyone's talking and laughing and it's social. Like yes. that's, that's the beauty of that game. Yeah, there's a lot of, um, God, when we, that time we just played with my sister and them, it was, wait, what resources do you have? Wait, do you have, yeah. hey, and it was literally, there was one thing going on. I think it was my wife was next to me and my sister was on the other side of her and we were like, buy from me no 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 you want to buy that wood from me you want to buy it but i have a better i have a better price why don't you why don't you want to give it to me and my wife is like questioning like loyalty to husband versus versus like don't want to take off the sister-in-law and yep. you know my daughter's cracking up on the other side of the table like that's great to me there's something magic about that as much as i like a game for the intellectual challenge and the puzzle if a game's not fun especially yeah. social like that then why play it all the games i have ranked highly on my list they're pretty much all games where when we play them whether it's two three four or more 
we're laughing and having fun. And if you don't do yeah. that, I know people play games just to be serious gamers. That's fine. That's just on me. But you better have fun. Otherwise, it's otherwise just going to sit on the shelf and look pretty. Yeah. I'll say the last thing I'll say on this is so at one point when my son was probably 10 or 11 and he was really getting into the games and he was mm -hmm. playing them all and he loved them. So I went on Board Game Geek and I said, you know what? I'll just find their highest rated game and I'll buy it. And it was Terra Mystica. And that game, have you played that? That game is garbage. No offense. I like, hate that game. It is Had a terrible it? game. And it's like it. the box weighs 25 pounds <laughs> and it's needlessly complicated. And it's not even complicated oh, in a way. Oh, we're going to get mail for this. <laughs> oh, good. I People mean, love that freaking game. And they love that game. And I yep. was like, I do not understand the allure of this whatsoever. <laughs> and it's not even complicated in a way where you're like, I can't even understand how this works. It's. Just the, again, iconography, it's confusing, but the actual mechanics of what you're doing are not that complicated, but it's not fun. It's, it's like, this fun. is, I look at it on the shelf and I'm like, preach, I, I should sell it, but it would cost $30 to ship because it is so freaking heavy. Yeah. Anyway. I got the physical copy, then ended up, then they created an app. It's great. I'll learn it on the app and then we'll take it to the table. I played the app twice and I went back on Board Game Geek and I traded the copy away and I never actually played it physical yeah. physical copy so it's like nope that is not good, those good games i always say it's like with gloomhaven which i will still submit to my deathbed is a role-playing game in a board game box yep those games are for somebody they're just not for me yeah just i'm, I'm okay with that you know you yep. get into your 40s and you just you accept what is for you and what isn't for exactly. you exactly that is exactly how i feel my guest today has been john tomasi he is the red sox reporter for nbc sports he nbc sports boston and he is also on Twitter at J-T-O-M-A-S-E. I recommend you go follow him and you can ask him all your LA confidential questions. John, thank you so much for joining me. You got it, anytime. That's all for this week's show. Thanks so much for listening. If you do subscribe on iTunes or any other site that allows you to leave a rating and a review, we would really appreciate it, especially if you do like the show and are willing to give us a five-star review or six stars or 10 stars, however many stars they let you put on the show. Whatever the highest rating is, we greatly appreciate it. And feel free to send this along to a friend if they th you think they'd enjoy it, if they like baseball, if they like board games, or if they just like somewhat mindless banter. I think we did a little of all three of those things this week. Thanks so much for listening. Stay safe. Go get that vaccine. <laughs>